0: You are now listening to Testimonies with Terry. Welcome, everyone, to Episode 5 of Testimonies with Terry. I'm your host, Terry Skaggs, and thanks a lot for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on whatever app you're listening to, and give the Testimonies with Terry Facebook and Instagram pages a follow. Today, I'm going to be chatting with one of my longtime friends and a guy I have immense respect for. You're going to hear a testimony of really just God's provision and blessing throughout his life. From providing a father figure when his biological dad wasn't in the picture, to providing him a way out of a pornography addiction, to current day providing him with an amazing family and house, you're going to hear how this man kept the faith through it all. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Ted Conrad's testimony. All right, guys, I'm here with Ted Conrad. Ted, thanks for hopping on the show. Thanks for having me. So, Ted, do you remember the first time we met?
1: Oh, man. Uh, It had to have been young adults, I'm thinking,
0: with Jerry Goodman. No, 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 I was never in that. So we actually met... At least I first saw you or kind of talked to you at a TGI Fridays. TGI Fridays. When that was still in St. Cloud. Which is now Red Robin. Correct. That place. Okay. So it was still in St. Cloud. I was kind of new to like the friend group that we're all, you know, part of now. And all of a sudden, this big, thick, tall dude riding a motorcycle drives on up into the parking lot and everyone goes oh ted's here ted's here and emily was there so she was obviously your okay. wife now yeah uh, i was really excited to see you and in comes again this big burly man wearing this deep v cut of a shirt that's probably <laughs> probably way two, too small two sizes too small yep. <laughs> nipping out and i'm just like who invited this dude? Here. <laughs> Little, you know, did I know that as time went on, you'd be, you know, a great friend to me. So kind of I I don't know, just kind of a funny story of how we funny. were first introduced to each other. Yep. <laughs> but um, yeah, so Ted, again, throughout the years, I've heard bits and pieces of your testimony. So I'm looking forward to just kind of getting into it here and piecing everything together. And uh, yeah, just kind of uh, understanding your story of faith. Sure. Sure yeah so why don't we start off ted with uh where did you grow up and what was family life like for you
1: well uh I grew up here in richmond um born and born and raised uh grew up uh to uh family I had two sisters and one brother and uh dad was not in the picture uh since I was one so um uh, very very little at, at least so um but I grew up in town in Richmond. Uh, and then in 2005, I bought my first house in town in Richmond. And then just last fall in 2020, we bought our new house here in just outside of town. Okay. So you're, you're Richmond through and through. Yep. Yeah, I feel pretty well planted here. It's been fun. Uh, I spent a good amount of my time in my, I would say, teens and older traveling. It's always been a big passion is traveling. So I've done a lot of missions trips and stuff. So for someone who's planted in so deeply into such a small town, loves to get out of it <laughs> sometimes. But I do love it here. It's not that I'm trying to get out. It's this is home. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. What, what is it about Richmond that just just keeps you here? It's just a good community. It's a good small town. It's clean. The town people keep their yards and everything in good shape. It's not run down. Everybody cares about everybody. And I feel like it's an, now that I'm getting older, I'm seeing things different. So it's kind of a good community for families. You know, a lot of younger families like ours and uh, a lot of people from the St. Cloud and cities moving up, just trying to get out of the riffraff. And and, uh, it's just, it's just a good, good parks. It's just growing in really healthy ways, it seems. Yeah. So it's fun to
0: be a part of it. Yeah, that's awesome. You said you have two sisters and a brother. Where are you in the birth order? I'm the baby. You're the baby. Yeah. I'm okay. the big baby. <laughs> Literally, <the>, Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the big baby. If you guys don't know Ted, Ted's a big guy. Your dad left when you were one years old. Do you know why that was? Yeah,
1: so uh, dad, dad worked for Granite the granite company, we call it here in town. It's cold spring. They call it now cold spring granite. It's always been. And, uh, he worked on the road and so he spent a good majority of his time gone. And, um, that was really hard on mom raising a family. It has a spouse gone all the time. And I think there's other issues along with that, that probably I don't know about, you know, um, I think there was a lot of drinking and that kind of thing, probably on both sides at the time. But I think mom was trying to clean clean up, and but for the most part, he was just gone all the time. And I, from what I understand, uh, mom kind of gave him an ultimatum where basically it's like you need to either find a position at the company where you're home, or work somewhere else where you can be home. Or you're gone because you can't do this anymore. And he, it, there's probably more to it than I will ever know. But from my perspective on how, what I, the information I got as a kid, that's what I understand. He decided I, I gotta, this is my job, this is my work. I gotta keep doing that.
0: So. Yeah. Did you have any communication with him? Uh, yeah. Throughout your life,
1: he was around. Um, I would say, I, I remember some weekends going. To dad's house. Um, Dad bought the house they grew up in. So dad's from a family of, there was 13 of them, and one of them passed away at birth. So it was 12 kids in a small house on Grand Lake in Rockville. And uh, after, when I was a kid, when grandpa sold the house and moved to Cold Spring, dad bought the house, so they lived there. So I remember going to what was grandpa's house, is now dad's house. And I remember he had a few things for me to do while we were there, like building models. I remember there's a model airplane I worked on for a few visits. But it was fairly rare we'd go there. Again, it's weird how you remember things differently as a kid than probably how they actually happened. But uh, I don't remember going there very much, just a handful of times.
0: Do you remember whenever you would go and then you'd have to leave? Do you remember what you were feeling as you were leaving? Did you have...
1: I'd rather be home is what I always felt like. I felt like when I was at dad's, you know, I I think every boy dreams about doing grand things with their dad, you know? And uh, I can't remember specifically having those, but I can't imagine I was exempt from those dreams wanting to go fishing and all these things and... We never really did that. Uh, I don't recall him ever taking me fishing, even though he lived on a lake at the time. And I do remember in high school, it might have been middle school, he took me to Colorado and we went skiing. That was probably one of the best memories I ever had with dad uh, growing up. But otherwise, I mean, I even remember missing birthdays. Uh, I... The way my memory works, he'd be months at a time and never hear from him and stuff like that. And that's that's
0: was how it was when I was growing up. That's how I remember it. Yeah. What was that like for you? You mentioned when you were at his house you'd rather go back to mom's house. Mm-hmm. But did you still have that desire to have that close relationship with dad, or were you already so aware of just how things were that maybe you didn't have you know, big hopes or expectations to, to have this real close relationship with your dad? Sure. I,
1: the the older I get, the more I kind of analyze this kind of stuff. And I feel like, I mean, I was really fortunate. Our next door neighbor where we lived in town, Bill was his name, which is ironically my dad's name, <laughs> Um, uh, was a really strong father figure to me as a kid. And so, I feel like I think that has a lot to do with the fact that I didn't have as deep a longing for that father, um, f- that father void being filled by di- by my real dad, because it kind of was being filled by by na- my neighbor, uh, my neighbor Bill would take me. I mean, I just would walk over there. We were so comfortable, and I think he desired to have a son. I'm sure. He never had any kids himself, so he just loved having me around, and I loved being there. It was so easy. It was right next door. You know, if he was working on a car, I'd quote-unquote help him, you know, or he'd teach me things, or he'd give me something to take apart, you know, or teach me a card game. We did a lot. We used to go camping quite a bit. So, I mean, I feel like that void was, for the most part, being satisfied. But there's something about your real dad. I'm sure there was still something there that I wanted, but I think the reason I wanted to be home was I think you're just more comfortable at home, and I didn't feel a, a, a hard need to be there, so I, I it was more of an obligation than anything. I think is what it was.
0: That's so cool how neighbor Bill stepped into that role and and was that father figure for you w- without him. Man, how how different do you think your upbringing would have been?
1: Oh man, I I you know, so I it it gives me a big perspective on uh there's actually a gentleman that I know that uh he's got a really rough past. Never I it seems to me he's never had a good father figure. And uh, he's in his mid 20s right now and he's in and out of trouble all the time. Just lives his life in just trouble all the time. And, I wonder if how far from that I would be if I didn't have a solid guy like my neighbor, Bill, who was always there, you know? And it's funny how, how guys are, or at least me in any ways, it's not that I confided in him emotionally or anything like that. It's just being around a man, you know, and he was always there, you know, if I wanted to go over there and just, he always had a wood stove in his basement, so we'd he'd open it up and there would see the fire, and we just would sit and look at it, <laughs> sit there, do nothing, to look at the fire, stuff like that. Just, yeah, you know, just having that quality time, I think, was really was one of the things that really helped keep me grounded. Yeah, even though he wasn't a Christian man, he was he was very much even against that stuff. Oh, really? Uh, in in a way, I mean, he was never vocal about it to me. But, uh, I mean, I, over the years, I would make some light attempts to kind of approach that with him, and he would respectfully decline, the, you know, the offers. Um, when we got married at the church, he'd show up, so he wasn't against going to a church for something, but uh, the idea of God, I mean, he, he uh, had a degree in biology, so he was very science-based in his logic. Is Bill still with us? No. So he passed away a few years ago. He's the reason I got into motorcycles. So I mentioned earlier, I, we he used to take me camping. He used to take me camping on a motorcycle. <laughs> so it'd be up in the Cayuna Iron Range before it got developed. Um, we would just find these goat trails way back. I'd have to get off the bike so he could go through this deep mud puddle, and I'd get back on on the other side of it to, just way back in the bush and we just find a spot to set up camp. Nobody around for miles. Down in southern Minnesota, uh, down by the Winona area. He was um he used to take me camping 3, 4, sometimes 5 times a summer. And that was probably one of my favorite things about being a kid and having him as my father figure as he would take me camping. Yeah. I just loved that. That was my, one of my favorite yeah. favorite things.
0: What was that like for you losing him uh, a couple years ago?
1: So, yeah, um, he got in a motorcycle accident and somebody pulled out in front of him and he got really badly injured. Um, I mean, he broke, I think, something like eight ribs, tore his uh, aorta uh, artery, um, uh, multiple broken bones, a concussion. You know, I mean, he was like 68 or 9 at the time and um but he was a tough i mean he was just a broad solid guy just a tough guy and he just muscled through it and um but he was never the same since he never got one of his lungs back and he just he'd lost he just turned into a bag of bones even though he made a full recovery he was always very weak and he can never get wind to talk properly and Um, It took a good couple of years for it to finally catch up, and he passed. That was a couple of years ago now. But when he passed, that was hard. That was hard. I remember I woke up um, that morning, and I had a voicemail on my phone. Our, uh, Our old neighbor across the street, she was a nurse. And so she had been very involved with his care at the end. She's very good. She had called and left a vet voicemail that he had passed, and that was that was really hard. Yeah,
0: really hard to to lose something so huge. Not having him in your life, not having that father figure in your life the last five years. How have you adjusted to to not having that in your life anymore?
1: I, well, I mean, I think emotionally, it was it was a hard hit at first. But adjusting to him being gone, I feel like I adjusted pretty well because the last few years, especially since we started having kids, um, he at, towards the end, he wasn't really able to leave the house very much. So we would take the kids and bring a meal and go visit grandpa, you know, and um, less and less as time goes on. Because when you get older and the kids get older, you just get so busy and then work gets late and. You get caught up in life. And so I ended up seeing him less and less towards the end, which um, I would imagine was probably harder on him, you know. But um, that probably made it a little easier for me since it, I just, it helped me adjust to just be busy all the time. So I feel like I've been – I've adjusted pretty well. It helps that, you know, I've got a Heavenly Father that's always been – the ultimate uh rock Amen. in my in my life. So um you know the scripture says we mourn like no other. I forget what the scripture ex- exactly is, but but it, it you know it's initially hard, but I've 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 always been pretty easygoing and level headed. So I've been able to handle anything stressful like that pretty easy. It's always been kinda easy for me to handle stress.
0: Have you had other father figures that have uh, since came into your life?
1: I guess I can't
0: necessarily say
1: have come in since then. I think, if anything, since he left, it's helped me to become a bigger father figure for my own kids, of course. But, you know, in other people that might need something like that, you know. Uh, it Whether it just be a, a, a quick little uh, interaction, you know, sometimes a father figure is maybe not just a father figure, but just a, a quick mentorship thing. Sometimes somebody at work is going through a tough time. And you could just, you can get down on their level and just say, it's going to be all right or whatever. I've, I've been able to do more of that kind of stuff. I feel like trying to step up to the plate to being a father figure, so to speak, I guess. Yeah.
0: Now you can be a Bill for other people. Yeah. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I guess maybe it's helped me to see other kids
0: that might need that. So cool. And I think that really shows your heart too, that, that you want to give back like Bill gave to you Mm -hmm. because he didn't have to do that. You know, he did it out of sounds like the goodness of his heart, you know, that there was a family next door who dad wasn't around and they needed a dad and he stepped up into that. And uh, the fact that you want to be that for others, even though you, you know, obviously you have your own kids, but still wanting to do that for others, I think really shows your heart as well. Going back uh, into your childhood here, you mentioned you're the baby of the family. So what was that like being the baby of the family?
1: Hmm. Um, I think I can pretty safely say i was the favorite i was the kid that did no wrong i think of all so my brother's down syndrome so he was obviously loved by everybody uh and then my two sisters i think i could say this because they would say it but they've kind of been in and out of trouble throughout 13 years and maybe into their adulthood um, they're, they're pretty level now. I think they're in pretty good shape, but, but I, I, I never was really one to be in trouble. I was always the good boy. And, uh, I was always, a, I remember as a little kid, I was the one that would snuggle with mom. And, uh, I feel like I was, I, I always felt like I was favored
0: and maybe I wasn't as much as I thought, but I, that's how I always felt. Yeah. What was it like? Uh, and and even now, what is it like having a brother with Down syndrome?
1: Uh I wouldn't trade it. I really wouldn't. I mean, it's uh, there was this uh, a sermon by Bre- uh, a guy named Brendan Manning, and he he worded it so well. Um, I'm trying to remember how he's exactly worded it, but he uh, he mentioned that there's Native American tribes that uh, attribute divinity to Down syndrome because they they view it as a open window to God's love. You know, and a, anybody who knows and has spent time with down syndrome people, they're just lovable. Right off the bat, yeah. they're just open and happy and lovable and and Tim has always been that way. And uh he's always been fun to be around and he's always the life of the party. You know, it's uh and I don't mean this in uh in a you know, sad on me kind of thing, but I remember my graduation. Uh, he's, I think, three years older than me. He was born in 80, but uh, because of Down syndrome, I mean, we graduated the same year. I remember going through the graduation ceremony, and Tim would go up and get his diploma, and the whole school cheered and throwing their hats. Ah, Tim, great. You know, everybody he was loved by everybody, jocks, nerds, everybody loved him. And uh, and then they read my name, and it was just crickets. Nobody knew who I was. It was this guy, so it's just kind of, that's how. So that was having Tim in my life, is maybe in a way is one of the reasons I feel joy, uh, or I look for joy, in situations. It's because Tim has always just always had joy readily available.
0: Yeah. Growing up as as a kid, even into your teenage years, did you ever have any jealousy? of you know tim having all you know this love and and adoration and and kind of the focus and attention on him did you ever feel again jealous of that or did you ever feel like people didn't notice you because of tim
1: uh no i i can't say that i felt that i mean uh, in a small way i think i've high school was hard um because I, I went through a lot of self-esteem issues in high school. So when Tim would just be loved right off the bat, yeah, maybe I probably felt a little jealous about that, whether they like him. But it, at the same time, it was obvious why they loved him so much. Yeah. So it was pretty easy to process. Yeah.
0: Did mom, did she date? Did she ever remarry after? No,
1: nothing. Wow. It, not as far as I know. Um. I think she just got caught up into life and taking care of us kids, and that that became her life. And and by the time, uh, well, up until she passed, she always took care of Tim. And I've I have a feeling feeling that that's what consumed consumed her life. Yeah, is taking care of Tim. Sure. And uh, I don't think she uh, opened her heart up again for anybody to come in. I think it's just,
0: it just was never an option for, I think. You mentioned in high school, you had some issues with self-esteem. What, what were you kind of going through at that time?
1: Well, I mean, I think my whole life probably I have felt self-esteem issues. Probably I remember in fifth grade, um, I went through a pretty, a pretty deep depression at that age Uh, Even though I had Bill as a father figure and I felt, you know, pretty satisfied with it, that's, I think, at that age, for whatever reason, uh, my brain decided that not having dad at home, my real dad, was hard. And so I I remember I would run away from school because we just lived, you know, on the other side of town, small town. I remember running away from school and just hiding under the bed just because I just didn't want to deal with anybody. just felt so sad and depressed all the time i remember going to see counselors and they put me on i don't even remember what drugs riddle in probably and different things to try and see because they always doctors go straight to drugs you know it's got to be uh he needs a drug or something you know so, hey, so that's what i remember seeing that and then um, I remember tearing books out of or pages out of books just because I was angry. And, but I mean, like I said, we went to counselors, and I think they, I have a feeling
0: that had a lot that helped me deal with it, you know, helped me to get through it, stuff like that. What advice, what help did the counselors give you that helped you work through that?
1: I can't put my finger on anything specific. I'm sure they just helped me process it. You know, I think they, you know, helped me to realize it's just a phase, and and I, I guess I can't, I can't put my finger on anything. Yeah. There's nothing profound that I remember
0: helping me through anything. Yeah, sometimes the best thing is to just have that safe and private place to go and and talk about mm-hmm. these kind of things. You know, with someone who isn't gonna. Judge or shame or guilt or condemn or anything like that right. So it's awesome that you at least had that space to 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 talk about it and process through things. You said that happened around ten years old is when that depression kind of sit in for you yeah,
1: I would say around that age in my I think in my I remember. From my perspective, looking back, I know it wasn't accurate at all. But from my perspective, it seemed like every other kid had their dad at home. And I was the only one that didn't. And that sucked. And I feel like there wasn't anything I could do about it, so it made me angry. And I think that a lot of the things I struggled with, and I think anybody who struggles with anything hard like that, you feel like you're the only one. You know? Mm -hmm. And, uh... And, you know, I, and that's the fortunate thing for me is I've been able to w- work my way through it, and I can look back and go, I was not even close to the only one, you know. Even when I was a kid, divorce rates, I mean, there was a number of kids that were single parent they were probably going through the same thing, you know. So I definitely was not the only one, but it felt like I was the only
0: one. Yeah, it's not something that people readily talk about. Yeah. Right. You know, it, it's it's still and I think it's gotten better over the years, but I think it's still kind of a taboo subject. And I, I, I love that there may be people in your position, you know, at that age or whatever age they're at listening to this. And I'm wondering, Ted, what advice would you give specifically, you know, if there's a, a, a young man out there, you know, maybe a, a guy in his teenage years that doesn't have his dad in his life, what advice would you give to him?
1: I would say, I mean, if you're in a position to be an influence on someone, I would say take the opportunity to be an influence, a positive influence if you can. Don't expect to change that person's life. I I think that was a process for me as I got older, um, my late 20s and 30s. I you see these legendary people changing lives, you know, and it's like, I wanted to do that, but it never happened. But expect to just be there for someone. You never know what little nugget you give someone is important. Um, To just be there. uh, My neighbor Bill was there all the time for me, which was awesome, but I've been learning to, uh, to just give those little nuggets to people whenever I can. You never know when somebody is needing something, and God has you there to give it to them. You might not change their life at the time, but it might be significant to that person later. And that's important to take those steps. I think if the Holy Spirit's guiding you and leading you to do something, you're there in that person's life
0: for a reason. I think. think Take that opportunity. Yeah, don't miss it. So good. Yeah, so good. With having uh, struggles with self-esteem throughout. You know those teenage years, adolescent years, into teenage years. Did that morph into other problems, other struggles uh, in your life?
1: Um. Yeah, I think uh, one of the other things I struggled with, I think, was uh, wanting to be accepted by girls. You know, of course, I think any boy went through, goes through that, has been through that. Um, but. The struggle for me was not feeling adequate. Like, why would they want to be with me? Or why would they like me? What do I have to offer? You know, I don't have talents that these other guys have, you know. So that was something I always struggled with. Uh, So I think that was one of the things maybe that it turned into. I will say probably along that same road, it turned into pornography, which I think most boys and men struggle with at some point. Uh, there are a lucky few who never did struggle with it, but it's incredibly rare. I think it's important to, for guys to remember that, uh, almost all men have had some amount of struggle with that. So I, that was, uh, that was something I think that it probably morphed into is, uh, Pornography addiction for a while. Yeah, um, I I've, fortunately I've been able to have been healed for that. Um, it's something I got to keep on my radar at all times. I don't think I can ever let my guard down for it. Uh, it's something that could easily creep back in, especially with how readily available it is nowadays. But um, it's not a struggle. But uh, that's definitely something I think that that whole process became into, I think.
0: Yeah. And, and I love how you're so open with that, Ted, because I I would agree that more men than not at some point in their life have either struggled with it or are currently struggling with it. And, and so for you, like at what age did that become a struggle for you?
1: Well, I can remember, I mean, it's a amazing how strong a man's, uh, image retention is. On, especially on that crap. But uh, I remember the first time ever seeing anything like it, cousin had a magazine page and uh, we had a fort out in the woods by where they lived. And uh, I remember that was the start of it. I was probably, I don't know, I was 10 or so that same, same time. I got to think it was somewhere around there. And then, uh, I don't recall it being like a real big issue through high school, but, uh, as, after I graduated, I bought my first house when I was 20 and I remember, well, when you're a single guy living alone at home, you know, what's to keep you accountable? So I, you know, things kind of got crazy, but as I got into my later twenties, I was able to get, get it under control. And I think confiding into someone, into what I was dealing with, and then realizing that I wasn't the only one, you know, and, uh, but confiding into somebody who actually cared, who wasn't judgmental, and, uh, and realizing that just because I struggled with this thing doesn't, doesn't keep me from being what God wants me to be. Not that it's a free ticket to do it, but one one of the things that uh, has always been very significant to me is uh, realizing that these very significant biblical influences—you know, David and um, Noah and all these the big names in Bible, Samson and in, in, in Bible stories—you know, the biggest names and have the people that have done the most. What we view as the most significant. Things um, are seriously flawed. People, yeah, and and not just that they were flawed and now they're perfect, so they can do these things all through their life and all through God blessing them and using them. They're flawed the whole way through, human, just like us. And I think that's probably one of the things I got to think that's probably the most significant thing that helped me to get over the pornography addiction is to realize that you know, God can use me anyway. That helped me to release it, you know, because that it was like a big step forward into becoming a better person, I think.
0: Yeah, kind of coming out from that bondage. Mm -hmm. And so you've since been healed from that. And and like you said, obviously, you got to keep your guard up because it's it's literally everywhere, Mm -hmm. you know, around us. I feel that And even just working with clients who struggle with pornography, it's so important to find the root issue, the root cause of it, because maybe there are guys or, or girls, because there's obviously women that struggle with pornography too, that view it just because of the physical attraction to it. You know, it's, it's just physically inviting to them, but my experience working with clients and just talking with people who have dealt with it, there's something there that's driving that behavior. And mm-hmm. and so for you, it sounds like the the low self esteem, the feeling like you weren't being accepted by women. Do you feel viewing pornography was a kind of like a coping skill for you? Oh yeah,
1: I think so. You know, and of course, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. I can look back and realize that. Um, I wasn't the loner I thought I was, you know, I was a pretty cool guy, but I, I just never felt like I was. So um, I think that was my way of being accepted
0: is like accepting myself in that way, I guess, is probably what that was. And I feel like anytime we can really accept ourselves and identify who we are in Christ, that's where freedom comes. Mm-hmm. That's where those chains get broken off of us and, and we can walk forward. And it's awesome that you've been able to to do that and, yeah. and, and to, to walk forward. What Was there any really defining moment where you, you had the realization that I am done with this and I'm going to do everything in my power to not come back to it?
1: You know, I can't recall a profound moment. It was a process. You know, it was a, a realization of like the little steps I would take weren't enough, so I'd have to completely cut internet to the house completely. You know, I I can't just you know say I'm not going to do it, you know, or I'm not going to look, or I could even put in uh, blockers and things like that. But then I could override it. But I mean, it was a process uh, over time of little steps like that. Mm-hmm. It finally, eventually. Uh, And luckily, this was uh, before it was really so easy to get, like, on a phone, you know, back then. Luckily, I was able to get over it before that was so easy, you know. But I got to think it would be a lot harder trying to get over it now, especially having a smartphone in your pocket where it's just easy. Anytime. Sure. You know, I feel bad for people
0: who struggle with it now because it's,
1: Easier than it's ever been.
0: What helps you continue to stay away from pornography to this day?
1: Uh, There's one of the things, the thoughts in my mind is, um, you know, I've heard stories of old timers in retirement homes, you know, where they're perverted and they're, you know, pinching a girl's butt, you know, the nurse's butt and whatever. I just, I've heard stories like that before. I, 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 I can't be that kind of person, like some, some kind of gross, perverted old man. And that was the road I was going down. And uh, um, so, so in 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 an effort to be a better person, you know, to look at it in a different way, it, to not be a bad person, I guess, um, is a motivator. And also, uh, if I'm going to be as reliable and a believable influence on my kids and uh, someone they can trust and is is who I present myself to be truly. Uh, I, I gotta nip that in the butt and make sure that's that I got that locked away and done, and I'm not struggling because I can't tell my kids and be an influence on them and then behind their back struggle with it and i feel like it's an attempt to be a a quality a quality guy a quality influence on my kids and whoever else i might need to be an influence on you know i need to i need to walk the walk you know so that's just,
0: that's an influence too it's a motivator what advice would you give to people who are currently struggling with pornography like you said with smartphones now Tablets, smart TVs—it's literally easier than ever to seek that out. What advice would you give to someone who is kind of caught up in that addiction? I'd be open about it. I think you don't want to
1: broadcast it over everywhere because I mean, they, they, not everybody is very accepting of somebody who struggles with it. You know, so you got to find somebody solid who you could trust, and that isn't going to shame you. And uh, someone who's just going to listen and, and ask you questions. And, uh, and I think just be open about it. Somebody, somebody who's going to keep you accountable. I think uh, somebody who's going to invest some time into getting you through it and being there the whole time. If that's the biggest thing, I think, is to quit hiding it, is to be open about it to somebody. Um, and then I think from there you got to figure out what your vices are I mean, if you got to get rid of that, I know, I, I know we're friends with somebody who he ended up having to get rid of his smartphone. He went back to a flip phone and quit all the internet. Cause he said, I just can't handle it. It's a, it's there. So I'm, I'm doing it. So I, some, maybe you got to make some drastic steps to just cut it. I mean, you can do it still. If you need to use the internet, go on it in front of someone, you know, there's what well, you can do it. You can do it. And, um, and then you you develop a new normal and you got to remember that it's it's something some people are very blessed to have that desire and everything just completely eradicated and it's never a thought
0: again in their mind yeah like quitting cold turkey yeah
1: and uh, you know that could happen you know and you got to realize that just under your own power it's not going to happen you got to you got to give it up to somebody you got to give it up to god and you got to realize that he's got something better for you and it's a journey, it's a process, but it's
0: worth one taking. For sure. That's that's good advice, Ted. And and like you said there, I, I think really recognizing your position in Christ and the authority that you can have over that, you know, with the Holy Spirit in you, I think that's what really brings lasting change and, and freedom from that.
1: I think another thing, like I mentioned earlier, is a, a realization that Um, God doesn't shame you. You know, that doesn't come from God. That's the enemy telling you you're a bad person. You're not a bad person. You're a good person. Um, You're a good person doing a bad thing. And uh, a realization that you are not outside of God's love. You are not outside of God's uh, blessing and his purpose just because you're struggling with this. For me, I think realizing that is a huge step in the right direction. Because otherwise, if he, all you do is think is, um, you know, God hates me because I'm struggling with this, and that keeps me outside of God's love, and I can never be used, keeps you down in that pit, and that's not a good place to be. God can use it anyway, you know. And for me, that was really freeing, you know it it didn't really have a grip on me once i realized that.
0: Yeah, preach it, Ted. That's <laughs> awesome. That that's a good word. Obviously, you've we've talked about your relationship with God throughout our interview so far. Let's kind of get into the history of that though. Did you grow up, you know, with your mom and and siblings? Did you grow up in a home where you always knew Jesus or what was your your journey like?
1: Sure. Uh I, I would we went to the Catholic church um when we were kids. And I remember the Catholic programs were good. You know, we liked them and Sunday schools and whatever the programs they did. I think the the teachers and people they had there were. But I, I think mom wanted something. She felt like she wanted a different environment to be in. And so she started, I remember, I don't remember how old we were, but um, she started a search over a couple of years of lo- looking for a new church. She just felt a push to find something specific, specifically for us kids, but we had good children programs and stuff. So um, I remember going to well, a lot of different churches over the years. And then uh, we started going to this church called River of Life in the auditorium at the high school. And this was the first year I think they started – meeting in the auditorium since they moved out of the conference room at the hotel in cold spring they're starting to grow a little bit so they needed a little more room still very small church but they had really good children's teachers and fun programs for the kids and mom made some good connections with friends and and that's where i've been ever since i mean it's been over 25 years i've been going to this church now just because of how uh how solid the church is and how how honest and real the church is
0: throughout your your walk as a Christian, have you come across any hurdles and struggles that really made you doubt your faith or just kind of make you wrestle with is what I'm believing true is is this real, or have you? been solid and 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 just rooted in that truth throughout your journey. Sure.
1: I I think uh as I was growing up as a kid and teenager, I made a pretty good solid friend group in the church. So, I think I always it was pretty easy to call myself a Christian because all my friends were. All my core friends were. I had some uh, snowboarding buddies through high school that were not Christians, you know, and uh, I I would even spend a lot of time with them while they were getting in trouble, but I never had I never had much of a pull to participate in that. But but it was very easy for me to call myself a Christian because, uh, like I said, all my core friends were Christians. So um, you learn the Bible stories and and all that, and it just becomes a way of life. But I guess I wasn't really challenged in my faith, until relatively recently, I would say. I've always just been a comfortable Christian, you know. Uh, I've, I've had many experiences throughout the years that kind of solidified my Christianity on uh, missions trips and uh, other youth events I've been to that were significant. But for the most part, you know, my daily Christian life was a very comfortable one. But uh, I, w- I would say about a year and a half ago or so, real close buddy of mine um i was talking to and uh he lets me know that he's not a christian anymore when he was one of my core christian friends and uh, that they've walked away from the faith they've made the conscious decision to not believe that anymore then he, he kind of explained his reasons and he wasn't like judgmental or anything but he had his he explained his reasons and and uh his wife, they made the both decision together, and um they got a couple of kids and and uh, I remember because i I remember working on a job when I was talking to him, and I was tiling, and I remember we got done with the phone call, and i couldn't I couldn't finish the job that night. I just sat there and I just like it hit me so hard that somebody that, to me, was, that had it all together, that had, you know, had a, a good biblical knowledge, that had the faith, and, and that was, the, we've been through much so much together. And, Cal, uh, I, I remember thinking, if somebody like that could fall, what do I have to keep me going? You know, what? what's special about me what 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 do i have that should keep me solid in my faith if somebody like that can fall and it took me months to get out of that funk uh it i it wasn't necessarily that i doubted christ anymore but it was a big slap in the face of we got to make this real you know in a new way and um that's when I started to realize that I need to uh I I need to grow in a in a new way. You know? Just doing the mundane day-to-day stuff to going to church on Sunday and saying you're a Christian wasn't enough anymore. You know? It was uh it was a, a wake up call to me to make it real in another way. And uh and so I've been I've been making some pretty good attempts at, you know, being real, being a part of a men's group. And, and, and I think a thing that has helped me solidify my faith is to take those little steps towards other people that might need help, you know, and, and to be an influence. Like I said earlier, to give somebody that little nugget that they might need, that's, that's helped me out a lot is to try and be somebody that somebody else needs, that grows me a lot. I feel like that has helped me anchor a little deeper. You know, and it it gives me a little more complexity, I feel like, and it helps me feel like I'm closer to God, you know, when I'm showing somebody God.
0: I think that goes to show the importance of community, mm-hmm. that we need people around us supporting us and speaking truth into us and keeping us accountable. And, again, I, I love how... In such a heartbreaking moment for you, you didn't let that ruin you. Yeah. You chose to rise above that and, and becoming more intentional in your relationship with Christ and becoming a, just a better Christian and a, and a better husband and, and a better father and a better mentor and friend. And so, I, again, I, I just love how you really were able to bounce back from that, acknowledge that this really sucks. I, I can't believe my friend made this decision, but I'm not going to make that same decision. I'm going to be intentional of making sure that that's not me, and that I and that I dig even deeper. Because it sounds like you were just really aware of that. Hey, like I've I've been maybe on the surface here. I need to dig deeper. Mm-hmm. So again, speaking about being a better husband, let's kind of go back into your relationship with your wife, with Emily. Emily is awesome. Anyone that knows her, loves her. She just exudes joy and and compassion wherever she goes. How did you meet Emily?
1: Uh, I met her through uh uh mutual friends at the church. Work at where I had been working had slowed down to the point where I, I my dad was looking for help. He's still working on the road. So I'm single at the time so I made a connection with him to uh, work on the road with him under the condition that until I get married, I'll work with you, you know, which was awesome because that that brought back a lot of relationship that we never got, you know, which was a a really good thing. I think we, we really made some good connections doing that over the road. Worked with him for three years. And plus, I mean, I was traveling. I was, I'd be gone to New York or LA or Seattle all the time or all over the place. We'd be working. So that, I loved that kind of stuff. But so when I was home, all of a sudden I'm home from a job and there's this other, other chick hanging out with all my friends while I'm gone. (laughs) And, uh, uh, so that's how we met is, uh, uh, I came home from a job and one of our mutual friends said, Hey, why don't you, why don't you talk to this guy? And, um, I remember I remember the first time we did, s- at, the first time we met, I think it's the first time we met, uh, we met at, uh, I'm trying to remember the church, West, West Wind Church? Westwood. Westwood Church. They used to do these volleyball nights. So I went on my motorcycle to play volleyball, and uh, and she was playing volleyball. So we ended up talking. I think we must have been standing next to each other. She ended up riding with me on the motorcycle to Applebee's. If I remember right, that's the first time we met. And then we stayed in communication. And I remember uh, seeing her at a bonfire at a mutual friend's and taking her up for a ride on the motorcycle. This must have been like the next weekend or something. And she, we were out on the bike. And she said, I, asked her, I looked back and I asked her, Do you want to go fast? And she said, Yeah. And I was like, all right,
0: (laughs) this is a good one. (laughs) You knew she was the one right there, huh?
1: And uh, we just ended up hanging out a lot. We stayed up sitting in the truck late in the early morning sometimes uh, out in front of your wife's apartment. Uh, I remember specifically one night we were sitting in my truck till way early morning and just talking and... We did uh, stuff like that a lot. We would just spend a lot of time talking and getting to know each other, and and uh, it just grew, just grew from there.
0: And so, how long until you guys got married? So basically, it was about a year.
1: So we dated for about six months, and we were engaged for about six months. So I think once you're into your late twenties, or at least for me, and where where I was coming from, it. It was becoming a pretty big desire for me to get married and and start that process. So um she checked so many boxes that I never thought could get checked. So um I knew I had to act on that real fast. And uh, you know, like Danny says it and it's not a it's not a stretch of lie at all, but I married up, you know? And so uh, is she and she's helped me grow in so many ways and becoming a man of God and, and being consistent and um, stretching myself. And um, she's been a really good partner in helping me grow and be that person that I never thought I could be, you know, I mean, uh, she doesn't define me, but she's been an amazing partner to get me to where I am at today.
0: Going back to your wedding day. And I was actually at your wedding. You're standing at the front of the altar. The doors open up, here comes Emily in her wedding dress, walking down the aisle. Going back to those thoughts that you had in high school. No woman is ever going to want me. I'm 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 not going to be accepted by a woman, you know. I'm going to be lonely. And now seeing your bride walking towards you like what? Like, were you able to kind of make that connection at, at all? Maybe not so much in that moment. Cause there's like a lot of things going on right. in that moment, but have you been able to kind of reflect back on, man, that, that is no longer a worry for me. I never have to worry about if I'm going to be accepted by a woman or not. Cause I have my best friend as my wife.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, that was like it was an accomplishment and uh i remember thinking that i'm so glad i'm not settling you know uh i mean i've seen i've seen that happen a lot between friends and family and whatever i feel like they end up settling and then it just doesn't work out but i remember sitting standing on the on the altar and seeing her i remember thinking i'm so glad i didn't have to settle you know um that I ended, I actually ended up with way more than I ever thought I could, I could have, and that's including children. So, Ted, how many children do you got? So we got three. We have Evie, she's eight, just turned eight a few weeks ago, and then Addie is four,
0: and all of hers one. What's that been like for you, becoming a father, coming from your background? Obviously, your dad wasn't always in the picture. What's it like for you now to have the opportunity to provide your children that constant dad presence where they never have to go through what you did as far as experiencing separation from their dad, that longing, that desire to have a relationship with their dad? They have that. What's that like as, as you kind of reflect on that?
1: Um, I definitely learned. I mean, uh, it kind of goes along you know the the scripture talks about how God will use all evil for good right and uh and not saying my dad was evil by any means but uh the all that hurt uh that I took and received as a kid um taught me what not to do you know and uh so, as we started having kids, I remember thinking, "I definitely know what not to do, <laughs> you know, and I've been able to take bits and pieces of good influences in my life and and uh what I've learned from scripture, I guess, and what does it take to be a uh an influential father you know and and hearing successful women talk about how significant it was to have an encouraging, loving father as they were growing up and and to try to emulate that and to try to be that father for my kids. Uh, I think that uh, that's been a big motivator for me is to try and be the best father I can be. So when we started having kids, it's exciting. It's not easy but uh, because you have to – you have to step out of your comfort zone to do a lot of these things. At least I do, uh, to to speak those loving things. Sometimes it's gotten a lot easier because my kids are freaking adorable, <laughs> but <laughs> they are. Uh, um, but our kids have been really easy to love. But uh, but it's 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 not enough to just love them. You have to train them, right? You know, it's our responsibility as a parent to train our kids in the way that they should go, right? So uh, learning what it takes to do that. And like I said earlier, to take those opportunities when they're there to be an influence. You know, like if Evie and I, Evie's love, so we moved to a lake, lake house last fall, and which is a whole story in itself. But Oh, and we'll get to that. Uh we, uh, uh, Evie is just falling in love with fishing, man. Can she fish too? But, uh, we've had a few opportunities where I've been able to take Evie just by her and I out on the boat and just go fishing and man, to just take those little opportunities and, and not get caught up and I got to get the lawn mowed and, and I got to do this tile job or, um, whatever it is, you know, life throws at you and not to get that's there tomorrow too. That's fine. But this is here now. And uh, you know I've missed some, but I, I've been learning to try and take those little times and spots and those extra little hugs and kisses and uh moments and little afternoons or whatever set take the time to be a dad. And 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 even to impart some wisdom when you can. So that's uh it's been it's been a lot of fun to be a, the dad that I never got to have. And to see how it's
0: how it's uh, transforming my, my kids. Yeah, and you've done such a great job, Ted. Of like you said, just learning from from your experience as a child growing up, what not to do, mm-hmm. avoiding that, and being intentional to be present and and to be loving and and to be consistent and, and, and to just be there. And again, you've done such a good job, Ted. You're, you're a great dad. And I really look up to you in, in that regard as right. uh, as as I you know hope to have children with my wife someday. Uh, you're definitely a model that I would look up to for that. And going back to your dad, you mentioned during your 20s, you'd be working with him on some jobs kind of uh, grew closer with him had a better relationship with him what's your relationship with your dad like now
1: um I would say uh it's it's cordial you know I think we're I mean I could call him up anytime and ask him do you have this tool or whatever and he'd borrow it or I need help with this or you know so we have a pretty good relationship I would say
0: yeah
1: um they uh, we don't relate a lot on our Religious and political views, so it's been a little bit of a challenge uh, on that side of things. Um, I've never been very outspoken and kind of radical in those sorts of things, especially politics. I just I've never spent any time in that world until recently. You know, everybody's kind of been thrown into it, but um, but as far as our actual relationship goes, I'd say we're pretty. We're in a good relationship, you know.
0: And then when it comes to your mom, unfortunately, how many years ago was it now, Ted, that she passed on?
1: She passed away, I'm trying to think, five, six years ago. Um, so mom had breast cancer uh, quite a long time ago, around 2009 or so, I would say, she got breast cancer. And over the course of treatments and time she beat it. Um, so she never had breast cancer again, but as is pretty common in somebody who goes through the whole treatment uh, situation of radiation and chemo, it takes a toll on your body pretty hard, pretty negative toll. You're pumping a lot of poison in your system. And so after she beat cancer... Um, She just was sick a lot. You know, you you, you get a lot of malabsorption problems. You can't really get a proper diet in anymore. And she ended up losing teeth, so she got dentures. And She just was sick all the time just because she had no immune system left. And um, then other other complications from uh, pain meds, you know, always kind of being a problem for her. she ended up dying, I really should know this, but six years ago, five or six years ago and um and that that was hard losing her definitely uh, being the the only
0: the most consistent person in my life, yeah, it sounds like she really was a a pillar in your life, like you said consistent she she was always there and now she's she's not here at least on on this side of heaven what's that been like for you not not having her here with you
1: um i i think it's another uh a reminder to step up to the plate you know i think uh um she was a prayer warrior i think she spent so much time in scripture despite you know whatever struggles that she had also she, her she would ruin her bibles you know cause she spent so much time marking and highlighting and flipping pages and uh after she passed we had a service at church here and we handed denny uh her bible and he he just was almost broke down cuz he said i've never seen a bible so ruined and if you know Danny at all, he encourages people to ruin bibles that's your Bible should look tattered' because he use it you know that's that's what how he' preaches. His Bibles are the same way, but that's how mom was she she spent so much time in prayer and scripture and and uh and I'm sure that has a lot to do with with me staying in a lot lot of trouble <laughs> his mom praying my way through it uh um but I remember we gave, we gave Danny our, her Bible, and he just—I'll never forget his reaction to it. And I, that, 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 uh, that was a testament to who she was as a person. She was, uh, she was about as real and uh, um, as deep as a person as you can expect, as you could want. Yeah,
0: yeah, very real, very. Raw, but very loving. I remember I so I only got to meet your mom a couple of times, but each time like she would always give Abby a hug and, and ask how she's doing. And uh, just just an amazing woman. And I think that's evidenced by the traits that she's passed on to you Mm. and, and in a way, like she, she still kind of lives on, you know, through, through you and, and, and the way that you treat people and the way that you love on people like she did.
1: That's definitely a, uh, I think something that I've got from her is, uh, the, the most, the, the things that we hold the most dear are, I would say the people in our lives, specifically our kids, um, you know, that we've always described mom's crown is jeweled by her grandkids. You know, those were her jewels. Those are her pride and joy. And if you knew, if you knew mom at all, you would know that was true, um, to the max that she, she would do anything for the grandkids. So taking that, um, it's helped me, help motivate me to just kind of not get so caught up in worldly things. And I, I really do value friendships and time with my kids and stuff. That's that's the most dear to me. I think she, she's helped instill
0: that for sure. Yeah. Well, what a legacy she, she left in yeah. that regard. Well, Ted, why don't we end with the testimony of your house? You've alluded to it a few times here. So tell us the story of how you guys were able to get this awesome house.
1: Sure. If I should go back, we growing up, I, it was the four of us kids plus mom in an average house, maybe a little smaller than an average house in town. Um, when I bought my first house, it was a less than 1,000 square foot house built in 1936. Uh, but on a nice north end side of town, and nobody behind me, and nice little setting. Clo- you know, you could walk to the grocery store. I had a lot of little features about the house that. But as we got married and started having kids, it's only a two bedroom, one bathroom house, and with a little, if you know what a galley kitchen is, it's just a very tight kitchen with one piece of countertop is all we had, which was difficult because one of my favorite passions hobbies that I have is baking. And uh I like to cook in general, but baking I, I really love baking. And uh it's tough to do in a tiny kitchen. It really is. And looking back I wonder how on earth did I make all that crap in that little <laughs> kitchen. I don't know. But it, it, I did. You just learned to be efficient, I guess. And but we started having kids and it's got starting to get tight and then when we had Oliver, um we had him at home and not in the hospital. And so we had uh, the midwife and we had the the helper. And then we had a friend of ours there. And then me and Emily in our tiny little living room, having Oliver. And that kind of was like an eye-opener for us. We're like, it's it's time. It's, <laughs> we need to start doing something here. And uh, um, so I bought that house in 2005. and in the early parts of our marriage, if I can go back, uh, we started to do uh, like Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey classes. And so we were learning how to budget and we were learning how to save money and we didn't have any debt, no student loans. So we were really blessed that we had a pretty good start and all that at a young age. But uh, we started to look into our mortgage and the, the way it's set up and We started to realize there's really, because we've been making our payments, there's no help they can give us because we were in a really bad mortgage. And this was back in when uh, the, the market was really down. So our house was actually worth less than what we owed. And so we couldn't dump the house if we wanted to without still owing on it. And just looking around for help. And there just was no programs out there. And, um, just trying to get ourselves in a good financial place so we could just keep moving forward with everything. And When we had Oliver, um, the market had completely flipped by this time. Houses are selling like crazy prices. So now we started to realize that, okay, well, maybe we could. And in that whole process, uh, we came out of water with our house. So now we actually have some equity in our house, which felt weird. <laughs> and uh, we started to realize that maybe we could actually sell this thing and get a few bucks for it. That'd be kind of nice. But then we are like, Oh, then we have to buy in this crazy market. And uh, so what's the point? We might as well stay here, but Oliver came and we we're like, all right, no, nope, it feels right. Time is right. We need to start looking. So we're looking we went, looked at a bunch of houses and, Either it didn't feel right for one reason or another. And then this, uh, we had our list of what we wanted, and being on the lake was never on the list. It just, it was way too far out there. It was never an option. like, that's too expensive. I'm not even going to put it on the list. And uh, this lake house, that I was somewhat familiar with. I knew the person who owned it, uh, right next to a public beach that I had spent my life going to since I was a kid. And so... It was on the market for over a month. And I told Emily, it's they're asking a lot of money for it, but uh, it's been on the market for a while. And I want to go find out why. So uh, after a couple of, we'd mentioned it a couple of times, she was like, okay, fine. So we went and looked at it. And uh, in the meantime, we ended up putting our house on the market. And I don't know if anybody's familiar with the way the market is, It sold, Uh, we listed it on the market for, on on a Thursday, and um, that night we had like five or six showings scheduled for Friday, and the third person to schedule a showing requested to be the first person early in the morning. He's the one that submitted an offer that we took, and it was a full price offer, Uh, he assumed all assessments. We could choose our closing date out as far as we want because he didn't want the house. He wants the lot. And so, and this is fall, so he wouldn't be able to get started on anything in the spring anyway. So he said, you could push it out and give you time to look. And, um, and there were oh, no, no inspections, which I was certain we were going to fail of <laughs> being an old house the way it was. Um, and, and he just It was everything a seller could ever want on an offer and it was, and we, we listed it at a kind of a ridiculous price. It's something that we, we just threw it out there to see what would happen. Even our realtor, when he said, what do you want to list it? He's eyes get real big. You sure? Yeah, let's see. Let's try it. And that's what we sold it for. And, uh, so that had already happened already. We're feeling like pretty good. That like, I can't believe we sold our house that easily for the ridiculous price. We sold it for but now we got to buy. So we're looking at this lake house, and we walk in, and we're like, I love this spot. This house feels so good. It's twice the size of what we have. It's on a lake. It's an acre and a half. Um, beautiful setting. Still close to town. I mean, it checks so many boxes that I never thought possible. And all it needed was updating. And... And I kept thinking, there's, there's no way this could be true. But after a lot of back and forth, we submitted an offer uh, for like 60000 less than what they were asking. Which, if you're familiar with this market, again, that nobody does that. But uh, we went back and forth. We ended up getting it for 50000 less than what they were asking. And in 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 my mind, it was a hundred thousand dollars swing. I think, in my mind, we sold our old house for fifty grand more than it was honestly worth. You know, it's just a old simple old house that uh, tiny. You know, a good little basic starter house, and we got the new one for fifty thousand less than what they were asking. And uh, and with the equity we had, we were able to put more than twenty percent down, um, and we did a a big remodel right off the bat with the remainder cash that we had. And I mean, it it was surreal. I mean, every still to this day, I I sit in my kitchen and look out on the lake, and I I can how can this be real? I'm sitting in my house on a lake, and it's it's amazing when you stay true to God. And you listen, you take the steps as he opens doors. And sometimes God does huge things in your life. Um, Sometimes God does a lot of little things that add up to big things. Getting this house and being in the position we're in is a huge thing. But I think it comes from making a lot of little choices and decisions and the little blessings from God that have brought us to this place, and I and I can look back and I can say, well, if we hadn't followed the day of Ramsey and followed a budget and been good with our money, we wouldn't be here, you know. And if we hadn't, me and Emily hadn't been true to each other and we'd be in at odds or whatever, we wouldn't be where we are. And it's just making all these little following God in the way He wants you to live your life
0: brings you to some amazing places more amazing than you could even think of for yourself yeah
1: yeah yeah and it's emily asked me this question the other day about mom and uh i said the thing that makes me the most sad about mom being gone is i know she would love that place And, and you know we even have a little uh like a rocking bench down by the beach we call it uh, Grammy's Corner that, you know, that's just where we would know she would be spending time. So it definitely is. I know mom would be proud if she were here where we're at. And I know we're not done,
0: but it's a big
1: step in a good direction.
0: What an amazing testimony in and of itself right there. Like you said, if you wouldn't have been faithful in, in those little things and, and in doing those things that, that God had impressed upon your heart, you very may well not have this house or be in this position again. And so again, just the obedience yeah. that you and Emily had throughout this whole process is, is incredible to, to listen to.
1: Yeah. Those little things add up. They really do. And they, they, they facilitate the big things. I really do think that there hasn't been an easy road, Um, and it hasn't been perfect, but if you if you stick with it, you know you don't lose the faith and you keep going. Man, I'm excited to see where we're going to go. You know, if we've made it this far so far,
0: man, where are we going next? Amen, amen. (laughs) Onwards and upwards, right? Right, right. Well, Ted, I think that's a great way to to end uh, this show. Thanks again for coming on. It's it's been incredible to hear, really, just how God's love for you carried you throughout your life. He protected you and, and just guided you through so many things and put you into the position that you are today where now you can be that influence, whether it's on your family or your co-workers or just, you know, people at church or people in the community. And, uh, you know, Richmond's not a very big town, but you're a great representation of Richmond. And oh, I appreciate a, that. it's an honor to uh, to have you as a friend. And thanks again for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, what an awesome guy Ted is. He's got such a big heart. He's compassionate and gentle and just an all around good person. And I love hearing how he's so intentional about avoiding some of the mistakes his dad made and that he desires growth in his life. And I think that's something we should all desire. Complacency can really be a life sucker. So hopefully hearing Ted's testimony will challenge you to grow in your faith and seek out all the blessings God has for your life. If you have any questions for Ted, make sure to use the hashtag AskTWT across the social media pages and we'll get him to answer a few. That's it for this week's episode. I'll be back with another testimony next week. And as always, live your life in such a way that glorifies God and kicks Satan's butt.